Today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners, who for more than 25 years have successfully delivered interim and permanent leadership talent to transform businesses. To hire the talent you need to enable your business to thrive, visit www.progressotalent.com today. Amazon is an integral part of our daily lives. With 29 revenues of $11.58 billion, assets of $225 billion, and more than 1 million employees across the globe, it is one of the world's biggest companies, offering huge opportunities for businesses and aspiring entrepreneurs alike. But knowing how to build a business and succeed on such a platform is an enormous challenge. Paul Adams is a man that can navigate that journey. As CEO of Tambo, the global market services platform, he leads the company that helps businesses grow on Amazon and other such marketplaces. A highly experienced digital professional, he's enjoyed a hugely successful career driving digital transformation for some of the world's leading multinational organisations, P&G, Diageo, Unilever and British Airways to name but a few. In 2018, he started a new adventure with the launch of Tambo, with the aim of using talent and technology to grow business on Amazon and other marketplaces. Tambo is already supporting businesses of all sizes, from those that are starting out on Amazon to the established looking for new opportunities for growth. How has he achieved it? Without further ado, let's get into it. Paul Adams, as a child, who or what did you aspire to be? It's that old question, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's, somebody once said to me, I never did that. What was the aspiration as a, as a youngster? Well, my yeah, my first aspiration was was being a tennis player. So I'm now on my you know effectively my second career because the first one, first one failed. So I, I and from picked what up age, a racket. What, from what age I did you first up, pick up a racket? I picked up a racket at the age of seven years old. So I mean, in, in our terms, that's almost too late. Like if you you know if you start turning tennis at seven now, you're like oh, you're never going to make it. So, but then back then, you know, back in the old days, you know that that was relatively easy to pick up a racket, and it all came from you know, moving from Croydon up to uh, to Birmingham. And my uh, one of my neighbours over the road, very family, very keen tennis players. I went round there. They put a net up in the back garden and I started playing in their back garden with the brothers, joined a club and then really just went from there. And it sort of accelerated quite quickly and got really, really into it. That's why I've always been my sport. It's kind of like, you know, all, all or nothing. So it was really my obsession for from the age of probably, you know, seven years through to, uh, I'd say 15, about 15, 16, when I kind of realized that I probably wasn't quite good enough to make it and pull back and actually decide to do some studying at that point rather than, uh, you know, concentrate on my, on my tennis. But it certainly kept me out of trouble, learned a lot from it. I had a you know, great journey, spent, you know, spent time a lot of time at the National Centre in Bishop Abbey and, and trying to compete and, you know, be the top best I could be in, um, in in Britain at the time. Was there a point at which you, when you look back, was there a point at which you knew, I haven't quite got what it takes and, and, and how yeah. might you have felt at that point? Tennis now is is much more ubiquitous at that level. So, you know, they they invite a lot more players and there's a lot more opportunity to develop. But back then, if you know, if you're really outside of the top, Top ten, it was a struggle. You weren't going to you're really going to get the funding. We had to work really hard to get the funding from the yeah, from the LTA then 
to support support my tennis, support the travel. Uh, so it was quite a drain on the you know quite a drain on the family, and 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 it was a big commitment to move up and down the country because you know for example they just weren't facilities. So the nearest indoor facility to me was Telford, which is about you know over an hour away from where I lived. And then outside of that, you know, you know, two or three hours to travel. So there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of commitment from me personally in, in you know, in, in school and then also with family. And I, I just, I just wasn't able to take it to that, that final level and really break into, consistently break into the, the top, top 10. I think probably in, in, in hindsight, I think um, the attitude was there, but probably the technique wasn't quite right. But yeah, great, great fun. And enjoyed every every moment of it and uh, certainly kept me out of trouble who were the idols who did you look up to this would have been what the 80s the 90s oh christ <laughs> god yeah i mean my i'm a lefty i'm a left-hander so you know and i'm, I'm old enough to know the great battles between borg and mcenroe yep and uh you was know, connor's a lefty as well Con- connor's connor's was a le- yeah no no don't think connor's was a lefty i'm not sure about that i mean certainly certainly a great player and connor's attitude was fantastic but i was a mcenroe fan Right. Yeah, absolutely. What did you love Loved about McEnroe? McEnroe? It's just one of the most natural tennis players that's ever lived. You know, the, the closest to it now is Federer, I think, in terms of natural ability, his style, his touch, just incredible. Great entertainer. You know, you can argue with some of his attitude problems, but it made the game exciting to watch. I remember all those days, early days of going to Wimbledon and, you know, sort of not, not, in, not on court one seats, but you used to be able to sort of watch through a window as a kid and watch, watch McEnroe play. It's just so exciting. And yeah. So yeah, he would, he would be my first, first idol that I wanted to, I wanted to emulate. He was such an explosive character of, and one of a number of explosive characters at that time, which yeah, yeah. I, I think clearly the investment in all sports is phenomenal these days. Uh, it, it's always been big business, but it's huge business now. There's big money in it. Clearly. I think even going right the way down to grassroots, if you look at the investment in tennis, I'd imagine these days it's distinctly different from the world you grew up in. Yeah. But, but as a, I think as a flip of that, it's slightly more sanitized, you know, that yeah. rightly um, the talent is, is, is supreme, but the sort of media training that is available, you often get that. Whenever yeah, you see someone completely. interviewed yeah. these days, it's kind of page one of the media handbook and off they go with the stock answer. You didn't, yeah. you, you had those, am I being a bit misty eyed and back in the day, it was a, a no, Mar- few more Mar- you know, Even early days of Murray was unfiltered. You know, when he first burst on the scene, it was unfiltered and he said things he shouldn't do and he had a real character and then they got hold of him and sanitized what he's saying and he became a you know a media vehicle but part, part of the reason i like you know i like macro was i was fiery as well i was a very fiery character didn't have a great temperament on court so i could i could relate to some of that but it, it was never i think people see that sometimes as a negative but when you watch and you know macro for example the way he played he used it to his, to his advantage and it actually fired him on and probably had more detriment to the opponent than it did to him himself so you know, I could relate to some of that. I often look back and I think, actually, was it a neat trick? Because as much as he yeah. would have, you know, was he getting into his opponent's head in many a way, yeah. distracting his yeah. opponent from the job at hand? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about, you know, tennis and the parallels we work with career. It's uh, it's very, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot you can take from that, that rivalry, that competitiveness, that way of winning. You know, there's nothing, other than probably golf, there's nothing more, no more mental game than that. Uh, than tennis so you learn you learn a kind of mental toughness at a young you know at a young age that i think for anyone learning you know doing tennis playing competitive stands me good stead for 
the rest of their life. Well, I think there are so the, the parallels between business and sport are plentiful, aren't they? And, and, and are, mm. are well well catalogued. It's fair to say. But what do you do? You, what else do you think that 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 early experience of top level sport gave you? One is 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 how to deal with being an individual on your own and taking responsibility. Like you're you're on the tennis court playing singles. There's no one else. You know, there's no one else there. You might have your support around the court, but ultimately you're the one that's in, you know, you're the one that's influencing the situation. So that's you know, definitely one thing to, you know, ability to take, take responsibility accountability. That, that mental toughness and resilience, as I said, I think is, is a great lesson in, um, in a, in a career. I think also um, being sort of being in the moment, talk about that a lot with the team now is like, you can't think ahead. If you think ahead on the tennis court, you're probably going to lose, you know, because you let that, you let that pressure get to you, that build up, that lack of focus, and the best players are able to live in the moment better than anyone else. You look, you look at the great players now. You look at the Djokovic, the the Dahls, the Federer. You know, they cut, they 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 know how to step up their game, and they know how to stay in the stay in the moment. That's really what sets them apart. If you, if you took, if you look at the top hundred players, there's technically not a great deal of difference between them. It's the mental aspect that that is the, is the differentiator. So I think tennis is great for men, mental strength. It's great for understanding the importance of preparation. You know, you're often in sport and tennis, you know, typically you, you've, you've pretty much won before you've gone on the court. If you've got the right mental framework, if you've done the hard work on, 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 the, on the practice court, you've worked on the things you need to, it's actually just execution. And again, that plays, plays into business as well. It's the, you know, always, always needs to be prepared. I think the other aspect is having the right support around you. You look at the top players now, you know, they've got the right support to make them successful. So again, it's you are the you are the person on the court, but you're a sum of the, the team that's um that's supporting you in the in the, in getting there. And I think it's also just ability to be competitive. You know, I think you won't survive in business if you're if you're not competitive in nature and it's the same in a tennis environment. Coming on to business, which obviously you then you mentioned earlier, you decided yeah. that um, sport wasn't to be for you, and that therefore you were going to knuckle down and do some studies. I think to yeah to coin your phrase. Yeah. So, what was it about a career in business, if you like? Where did that where study business at university? Where did that idea yeah. stem from? I think the first interest really came in, I guess, in marketing and communications than it did in business. I think business came really out of that. I'd always enjoyed that aspect of business, so. You don't, you don't have much exposure to it at school, but in various sort of odd jobs I did involved sales, marketing, and, and always in, enjoyed that, whether it's working and helping out in a golf shop. Uh, my father's in the car business, so I would sort of help with the marketing aspect there, you know, helping design, you know, leaflets. I kind of enjoyed that, that aspect of it. And my mum uh, ran her own business as well in catering. So there was always that need for, to, to provide that sort of support and be exposed to you know, sort of sales and marketing activities within it. Interesting. So you become digital marketing manager at uh, British Airways in 1997. <laughs> Thanks for that. that <laughs> well, the thing that struck me about that was digital marketing in 1997. Just completely ruined that. Well, we, we can go back. We'll, we'll cover over that. We, um, we can edit that bit. <laughs> we can edit that bit, absolutely. But it just struck me that 1997, digital marketing, and I'm looking back and I'm yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. what was on my desktop in 1997? Ask Jeeves, Friends yeah. Reunited. Yeah. I'm trying to think what was around. I mean, it just... 
the, the, even the concept of digital marketing, and you you have to excuse my naivety, yeah. would have been yeah. incredibly fresh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd been at so I'd actually been at Brit, uh, British Airways for a few years before I started that role. So I went into there into there as a trade marketing manager. So I'd worked at, I'd actually worked before my first job was at Canon in trade marketing, selling fax machines. Right. I know, just, it's just hilarious. You've now. just, just given away. We, we're of a similar age. You've just well, given our age. Right. I, yeah, the I fact know, that we're yeah. even so, mentioning yeah, fax machines. <laughs> that was cutting-edge technology. I still know my way, way around a photocopy in a fax machine today. And Although Lionel Messi know, did fax his, uh, his, his uh, right. issues with to Barcelona, didn't they he? Still have role, they still some, have a role. still have a role, Some corners of business. Yeah, so I've been in I've been in BA for for a few years. BA, I, I you know, massive credit to, the, to them. They they really spotted the trend and, and what was happening with, with with the internet, and they invested big behind it. And the the, the sales director I was working for, and you, you can I sales have been sort of they put him across into this new function called EBA, which is going to be a separate division of British Airways, effectively a separate company, as a kind of speedboat to drag the you know the the vessel with it and he sort of said look i don't really know much about this thing the internet but it sounds exciting i'm going over there you know we work well together fancy joining me and i did a bit of research and thought yeah i think this is going to be pretty big so decided to jump into that that division and absolutely brilliant time you know ba invested you know really heavily in it we had a separate office you know we we obviously had the you know the cool beanbag area you know, hot desking in a nice, a nice office in Victoria. So they really, they really put effort and they really focused on recruiting great people. And it was in, it was a really innovative time. And and you know, we were working on the first ticketing websites. So my responsibility, I, I developed British, the first British Airways.co.uk using what, which was pretty basic technology at the time, working with agencies in London and um, in New York. And in that time, like, there's no electronic ticketing. So you, <laughs> you were taking the sale off the website and you were posting the, the tickets out to, to people. And, and it, you know, it, it was about question. It made a huge difference to be able, you know, by doing that investment then and, and really sort of propelled them into the internet age. And you know, now that they, they reap re- the benefits um, of it. But well, yeah, what do, so... What do you think you learned from that early experience? Well, I think the biggest thing was... Um, trying and failing like, it was just so experimental there was no real pressure to get things right first time and there was a chap there um great visionary called pat gaffey who would who was ceo of, of, of eba and um, he just set a brilliant culture of experimentation and um you know we would sort of had the freedom to try and do 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 anything and the response and the kind of the, the responsibility to do it so there was a very innovative time a great team great culture felt incredibly free and i think you feel more free because you've been in the big beast you know well, i was going to say a, sort of, a giant when you're taken from industry. it it was like oh my god this is so exciting you know i've got i work on this great brand but i don't have all of those shackles to, to deal with but what happened unfortunately but understandably is that after about three years ba then tried to sort of bring the speedboat back into the the main ship and you know, a lot of us at that point were like, we don't want to go back into the main ship because no. you know, it'll be all the cultural aspects that we didn't want in our lives. So that's what the, at that point I realized also, if I'm going to specialize in digital, I need to, I need to be somewhere else because I wasn't going to learn, you know, the same speed. 
And what was it you mentioned specialising in digital? You'd made that. Oh yeah, I'd made that decision. What, what was the appeal of digital as a, a, a as a career choice? I think I'm I'm a I'm by nature I'm an adventurer, so I enjoy experimentation. I, I enjoy the uncertainty of everything. So, uh, and that's why I love digital because everything was an experiment. Everything was a learning experience. So, um, if I was going to carry on learning and experimenting and being digital, you know. A, a digital professional i needed to be in that environment that enabled enable that to happen so i made the decision to leave eba and go and then take another step and go into the uh the agency world because i've been working with agencies and you know on the client side it was great fun you know they were fun people it seemed that there's a great environment for it and i thought okay i'll i'll give it a go i'll go i'll go into the agency side and and I'd actually never look back. I thought it'd be a couple of years and I'll go back client side, but, ne- but never did. Absolutely loved it. As a, as, a, as a young professional working in London, had a had an absolutely brilliant time. So it was the right decision. It was definitely the right decision for me and I, I, I suited that environment better. And why do, why do you think that was? What was it about that side that, that appealed to you? Not necessarily appealed to you, but why you, why you felt you were better suited? I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think, don't take life too seriously. And I think it, one of the great things about agencies is they don't take life too seriously either. And there's a lot of, there's less rules, there's more flexibility, there's more creativity. Do, so, do you think you need that though, that in order that you might create an environment that, that generates that kind of creativity? You, you know, if it's too rigid, if it's too restrictive, that creativity won't flow. Completely, yeah. Uh, that's always a danger of agencies becoming bigger is that they lose that creativity, that culture that enables great ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and every every business needs ideas, whether it's a data business or a you know a um, communication business. So uh, it's it's something you continually have to manage and, and 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 be careful to retain. And it must have been incredibly exciting at that point as well in the, yeah. in, the in the early noughties that yeah. the, the world of digital was just exploding. It was like a yeah, you know, yeah. It had gone from a kind of wild west landscape into all yeah. of a sudden it was just this is the direction of travel. The genie's out the bottle. It's only yeah. going one way, but that's that creates enormous opportunities. Also, quite scary because it's it's ripping yeah. up a lot of the rules. I would imagine. Yeah, it was it was um, incredibly exciting. There was a lot of investment money floating around. I mean, some of the money we were spending with, on client on what clients were doing, and some of the ideas that they were investing behind were they didn't they didn't really have much business sense. And I'd certainly say that that was a problem. Is that there was such you know such a drive behind anything internet related. No one had really stopped and thought, really, is there a is there a demand for this? Is this really um, a, a good business model? Okay, can we make money from this? And I think eight out of the ten times the answer was no. But hey, we had great fun, um, you know, creating uh, websites and comms assets. I mean, this is this is even pre Google. You know, there's, Google yeah. didn't exist in, in, the, in this time, and you know now Google just feels like part part of life. But so. There is, in such you know, an incredibly lot. short period of time, in reality, yeah. from a business yeah. point of view, yeah, completely. You know, this the early years, internet, Google was just just starting up, and as you say, there was, you know, you mentioned Ask Jeeves, um, my chief, the chief product officer of, of our business now is um, was one of the guys that created Ask Jeeves, and there was a few search engines around then. And yes, Google swallowed them up. Well, it was it was also a time at which, as I look back, and again, slightly probably misty eyed, but if I if I look back, it seems that post, with clearly the awful events around 9-11, um, which, which mm-hmm. had clearly a massive global impact uh, in so many ways. But from an economic perspective, probably from 
what seems to me maybe late 90s through till the financial crash 2008 we seemed to have a sort of a, a run of what felt like just ever you know ever a burgeoning economy there was a, there was a, a wealth of opportunity much of it driven by this brave new world of of e-commerce and and and, and digital on the web mm. it was just a you know hindsight is a wonderful thing but as i look back i just think what a what a world of opportunity exists yeah. or existed through that time we were just riding that crest of a wave yeah yeah and it hasn't it really hasn't returned to that you know ever, ever since think about it you know because the financial crisis the less investment around and um you know we've had very low growth economy since then so it was a very rich and exciting time where you know, there's a lot of experimentation how have you seen the world i mean the the changes in innovation in yeah. the digital space since that time just absolutely phenomenal yeah. what what do you what do you consider what have you seen that for you have been the real game changers well i think most of it comes down to speed there's, there's always been a lot of great ideas and great innovation of what of how to use the internet. Um, you know, we, we had you know as a creative agency, I worked in Agents of Public. We we had some brilliant ideas that that were just way you know way too soon in terms of internet speed. And what's really made the difference is the speed and the ubiquity of, of, of the internet. You know, back then in sort of early two thousand. You know, you're in the old, you're in the, the whole dial-up scenario. You remember yeah. the, the, the noise of the dial-up. You'd, it was just so slow. So it's very limited what you could do and what functionality you could provide via the internet and compared to, to now when, you know, you you can stream videos, play games live. You know, it just, that, that's, that's been the one thing that's, that's built, that's provided that, that e- evolution. I think the other, the other area is that I think you could break that period down into eras you said that early period of just very nascent a lot of startup businesses you know a lot of huge activity but then you sort of sit you saw the google the google emerging and the kind of era of google so you've got that first phase is like the era of of google and they're sucking up all of those businesses into their into their platform and then i think the kind of next phase would probably be the era of facebook and social and how that changed the way and the dynamic about how people communicate um, and use the internet to, to do that. And I, you know, I believe now we're in the area of Amazon, and hence why we started the business. You know, Amazon is re- revolutionising retail and, and shopping. You know, and now I think Facebook and Google are, yes, of course they're, they're still very successful businesses, but they're not the innovation leaders that, that Amazon are. So I'd I'd, uh, I'd heard a phrase which I'm I'm claiming some sort of rights to. I'm, I I doubt I have any kind of ownership of. But this sort of Amazonification was a word that I'd heard oh, used yeah. of the of of the world is uh, you know it's all pervasive. Yeah. So what was the Tamo? What was the what was the inspiration behind Tamo? Where did the idea stem from? What's the backstory? I think the original inspiration well really it almost does come out of Google. So one of um, the co-founders of Tambo, Chris Whitelaw, set up a business called iSpy, which was bought by iProspect, which is the still the biggest global performance agency in the world and, and actually Google's biggest customer. Uh, so essentially, iSpy business and then iProspect are effectively an extension of Google. And that, that was a, you know, because they do other things, they, they work with, you know, programmatic and Facebook and other media entities. But Essentially, it was a Google, a Google agency, and that's a very successful model. And 
how, you know, was be able to build a business relatively quickly by sort of attaching itself to that platform. So the kind of thought is, well, what if you do that with Amazon? So we apply the similar model and become the kind of attachment to Amazon and, and, the, and the, the business to go to for Amazon support. So we kind of knew that there was a model there. I'd had, I'd had an interest in Amazon, uh, really spanning back to my days at Leo Burnett, a global advertising agency. And uh, my role was looking after Procter & Gamble from a digital perspective in the agency globally. And we were doing e-commerce toolkits for, for Procter & Gamble. And, um, you know, we knew more than Procter & Gamble, but we didn't know that much. And the more I dug into it, I thought there's there's really an opportunity for brands here. And actually, there's a real threat within Amazon to those brands because they were not taking it seriously enough and not showing up in the right in the right way and not being aware of that changing consumer behavior. So I'd always had that in the background. I then within um, Dentsu Aegis late, later in my career and with iProspect, I had an internal project that actually looked at a new business idea. So a part of a senior management program and said, right, you know, come up with an idea and work it through and we'll look to back it. And I said to my team, no, I've got an idea. The idea is we, we set up an Amazon business. And they said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, um, let's do that. So we worked together as a team. We came up with a business plan. We worked that through and we presented it to the, uh, the board of Dentsu Aegis. Most people in the room didn't understand what we were doing. And we really struggled as well to get funding behind it. And we decided that um, me and Chris, uh, who clearly had a relationship with already, thought, okay, we're not going to do it in Dentsu Aegis. We'll, you know, we'll do it ourselves. Was there a, a, an aha moment, that sort of eureka moment where you thought, this is what, this, this, we can make this work. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, I think, I think you just, you just, you just had to see the rise of, Amazon and its popularity and, and the impact it was having on, on retail to think, well, you know, it's becoming more important for brands and there's no, there's no real, you know, there was some agencies in the, in the US, but there was no real focus on it in the UK and, and Europe. So we felt that there was a big potential there. So yeah, consequently, we kind of worked out the business plan. I managed to find a time to exit at the right moment and then that's it, started it up in in a um, service office in Teddington. See, to your point, going back to presenting to, to the Dentsu board, it, they didn't quite put words in your mouth, but didn't quite, they didn't understand what the proposition was, I, I think is, is to surmise what you were saying. Yeah. But do you, how much of that is, do you think, because, you know, if you look at the scale and pace of disruption and innovation out in the wider world, there is so much that even through our working lives, that so much of what traditionally we knew to be true has been ripped up and if not, totally thrown in the bin, yeah. but certainly rewritten yeah. in many cases that, you know, there's, that's the challenge for businesses that you've gotten a, a way of working that historically you get very comfortable with. It delivers a rate of return that stakeholders are comfortable yeah. with. And yes, there is always a drive for more, of course, but it's difficult to change that for, through fear of, well, we don't want to quite detract from what the, uh, the old model looked like because that delivered for us. I've got to yeah. be brave, do something new. It's a, it's a bold step, isn't it? And, and turning long-established models around or changing businesses of that magnitude is is, is just almost, it's, it's not impossible. Yeah, and, and, and I've seen that a number of times through through my career. So I'd start, just I'll, I'll come back to the, the, the Dentsu experience, but if I look back to the days in, in digital agencies at Ains Republic, one of my main customers was Blockbuster 
we were doing banner advertising for Blockbuster and some, you know, some very some sort of campaign microsites of Blockbuster. And uh, so we'd spend a lot of time with them, talking to them. And I always remember being in a room with um, Alistair McCrows and we, then I went on, on to McDonald's and were saying, look, you know, this is great what we're doing, but, you know, there's these competitors on the horizon like love film that are sort of gaining traction you know you know us being your digital agency and the responsibility to say i think this is really where you need to be going and they, they did acknowledge it they absolutely did acknowledge it but because the business the, the retail business was still doing so well for them and, and, and as you say it was it was what they were the machine that they were maintaining they never really truly invested enough in the new world and you know, and the rest is history, and everyone knows the story of of what happened to to Blockbuster. I cycled through to the agency environment, and having gone out of digital agencies working into in big above the line agencies, it's the same problem there. All their money from clients are still coming from TV and print. So again, they were very slow to invest in digital, and consequently, a lot of those businesses struggle struggle to grow because they. They weren't in the they weren't in the areas of where the client demand was, and then you go into Dentsu and it's ex- exactly the same experience. The the beast is that is is managing predominantly big media, TV, you know, print, and at that time, print maybe digital branding budgets, but they're not investing in the new in the new new areas. I partly get it, I partly don't because you know a lot of these big groups are still buying those agencies. They're still paying a lot of money for those agencies down the line you think well, why can't they incubate that within their own business because that would probably be a lot more efficient than buying someone that's established but i think it's to your you know to your point i was fascinated that if you look at the times in which we find ourselves now and the mm. impact of the pandemic on consumer behavior and how that consumer behavior has changed and, and the pace of that has been accelerated by yeah. the pandemic. I think it was, um, I think it's Harvey Finkelstein, who's the COO of Shopify. Yeah. Quote from him was that the retail of 2030 had become the retail of 2020. Yeah. Everything's just been, 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 yeah. been accelerated by 10 years. But I was, you know, to your point around changing business models, I was fascinated to read that pre pandemic, pre lockdown, that if you just took online grocery mm. as a snapshot of spend in the UK, yeah. um, I think it was 7%. Yeah. So uh, despite the fact that it feels like we've been able to shop online and buy groceries online for time yeah. immemorial, it's it was still only 7% pre-pandemic of total grocery spend in the UK. Yeah. It's now at something like 19%. So it's taken the best part of 15 years to get to 7%, arguably the least, I think I'm right in saying, the least profitable channel yeah. for the supermarkets. Yeah. yeah. So therefore that adage, well, yeah, 7% of sales, it's the least profitable channel probably a direction of travel so we'll 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 invest piecemeal over time yeah so we'll get to a point where that's going to become ever more significant but hey the way things are at the moment at seven percent it's not going to it's not going to take all of our attention and focus fast forward six months and it's more than trebled in six months what it took or doubled sorry in in six months what it took best part of 15 years to get to so i think it's true for so many businesses that until need becomes must we all know we kind of need to make that change but until we get to a point where something happens, sadly, of a, you know, in many cases of a seismic nature, oftentimes, therefore, too late, until, we, until need becomes must, we just don't make that big enough, that big enough shift in a dynamic way. Yeah, and, and I think those businesses that have been investing um, progressively in their, their digital presence have done well out of COVID. 
you know, because they've been well, you know, well set up for it. Those that haven't, and have, you know, we've had a, we've had a number of conversations with grocery brands in the last month or so that are just trying to desperately play catch up. Um, are going to really struggle if this pandemic it continues because their their retail business is fallen off a cliff and 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 not fully recovered. So they're 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 losing money hand over fist. So it's just a great example of you know guys you just you can't let this because it, you know as everyone knows the Kodak story, everyone knows the Blockbuster story. Yeah, so many of these big businesses just don't react to it and they get comfortable where that where they are and and. That that just can't happen if they want to survive in, in in the long term because no business is safe. No, and I think we we could sit here and and you know go back to your te- your yeah. tennis. We we could almost play tennis with bouncing those businesses back and yeah. forth that have yeah. disappeared off the yeah. off the radar in the last ten years in particular. Yeah. So Tambo, what is it? What is it? What is an Amazon market or other, there are other marketplaces I know that you're you're invested in. What does the business do? So we 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 position ourselves as a global marketplace services platform and the reason we talk about that is our business is much about data and technology as it is about people so everything we do starts with data and we get that data through our own investment in technology and uh, use of good third-party providers as well and that enables us to provide services that enable brands to succeed in marketplaces so that's consultancy um, and we take a, take on a broad range of, of projects there. It could be looking at the brand's e-commerce strategy. It could be, for one brand, we've just done a, a, a global marketplace assessment at looking at where they they should play for their uh, brands around the world. Could be looking at another very exciting area getting into is on-demand delivery and that that last mile and ensuring that you know you are able to get your products to the customer at the speed they want to. So that's another another. So the consulting aspect, and it could be just be a marketplace strategy or an Amazon strategy. It could be an international launch, really whatever the, the business needs at that time. We have a analytics function, which is all about helping businesses businesses with insight around marketplaces. You know, Amazon particularly yeah, not great at really showcasing their data and and, and providing a format that can deliver insight. So we help businesses with that. We, we also help them with very specific projects. It might be looking at a, their category in a, in, a, in a particular market or a category in a market they want to go into to provide some sort of understand better understanding that can inform a, a business decision. We have an advertising team. So we're partnered with, with Amazon Advertising. So you know, we can take care of anything on the platform. And that's very exciting as well because you know, we see Amazon, we talk about Amazon as retail, but it's so much more than more than that. You know, the advertising side is a, a major threat to Google and Facebook. Amazon is the it's the number one product search engine. So people want to buy a product, they don't go to Google, they go to Amazon. So if you frame your mind of Amazon in that way, it takes you in a, in a different direction. So hence the advertising is very important to getting in front of the customer that's doing that, even if they're not going to buy on Amazon. And then the, the final area is managed service. So for clients that don't have that expertise in-house, we, we provide it for them. So they outsource marketplaces to us. Um, we work anywhere in the world where Amazon does, and um, we'll, we'll look after everything from you know, logistics to the sales to the, to the marketing to the customer service. So we're busy, yeah. Absolutely, I'd imagine. So, <laughs> so, what, what have, so you, you set up... Was it 2018 that's, that Tambo went, in effect, went live? Yeah. Get-go was 2018. Yeah, so what have you right. found to have, 
what have been some of the bigger challenges over the last couple of years? I think, you know, it, it's tough for, it's tough for anyone to get a business, you know, started. So, you know, you, you, you start, you know, and to be quite honest, you know, I started it on my own, which can be unusual and that there isn't any support around you. So there's the, the first three months was really sort of, I call run, run, run the proposition, run it through the part the pipe. So work with a client for free, really sort of understand the value that you add. And I was very lucky because I suppose I started the, started um, the business later in my career for having some, some great contacts that are absolutely brilliant in helping us get started. There's, there's a guy from called Chris Locke, who was at, um, a, a marketing manager, Diageo, who went to be a marketing director of Lily's Kitchen. And he said, yeah, sure, come into our business. You know, we're, we're on Amazon, see how you can help us. So literally work, worked for free with them uh, for three months. And had a very close relationship, was almost like sales director of their business for a while. And um, that really helped to get going, helped build credibility. And they're still, you know, I always consider your founding client the most most important client now. But they pay for us now, which is good. <laughs> uh, so, it's, yeah, it's really getting the – it was tough getting started, getting that C client, building building up the the, the, the momentum. They're trying to manage everything. You know, you're, you're, when you come out of a big corporate culture, you know, you have an IT department, a finance department, you have payroll. <laughs> I was, it's going to be one of my questions how you yeah. found the transition from from corporate yeah. life to, yeah. to you know to running your own ship it's it's a, so, it, it's never easy i'd always had a huge admiration for entrepreneurs and i think that's why i always wanted to be one one day and had that all the all the people that i respected most in the big companies i worked at were the the entrepreneurs that have come in you know being brought in and put into into roles in the bigger business they oh, just always was more a magnet for them i just had so much respect for what they'd achieved so yeah, and now even more so, having done it, you know, done it myself. The things you have to worry, the things you have to worry about. I, I didn't know what busy was, you know, until until you start, you know, start your own, uh, start your own uh, entity. Has has it been what you thought it was going to be? That that's one thing with me. I don't think about it too much. I don't think about anything too much because I think. Does it come I, back to living in the moment? You talked when you talked about tennis earlier, and you said living in that 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 point. Yeah, if you I, like. I do. I do try and live in the moment as much as possible, and not not think too much. I mean, obviously, you have to plan, but not not think too much forward. Because I think the de- the tendency that is you don't do things if you think about them too much, you won't do it. So I'm a bit of a character that will jump in and and work and, and work it out. I think it's been as hard as I thought it would be. To be honest, I don't think it's been been harder. I knew that it. It would take more of my time. I knew that'd be a, a challenge. I knew there'd be more pressure. Holidays are not the same now as they were uh, before, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And I'd recommend anyone doing it. I think the only regret I have is not doing it. You know, doing it earlier. But it's right. It, it's doing it earlier is dependent on the you know, the right moment. I had a, probably had a couple of moments earlier in my career, that, but they were the wrong time or the wrong people. And the wrong people's an important part. I couldn't work with better people now. You know, I've been lucky enough now to recruit Jake, who's one of the best people I know in performance marketing. Work work with him. Um, I have you know great relationship with the other investors. They're they're almost family. So it's yes, it'd been good to start it earlier, but it probably wasn't right on the right circumstances. But if you do get that moment, seize it. How much of an advantage do you think it was that you? The, the corporate experience that you have enjoyed and the uh, client side, agency side experience that you've enjoyed, how much of, 
I guess how much has that experience equipped you for what you're what you're now experiencing? I think it's been hugely important. You know, firstly contacts to start with, because of knowing a lot of people over a lot of business over a long a long career. Very you know very useful to get to open doors. I think secondly, you learn from the good and the bad. Good cultures, bad cultures. Good um, strategies, methodologies, ways of working. How to you know certainly how to manage people. You know, I've taken without questioning creating Tambo. I've tried to take all of those things and and cement them together in what we and what we have today. So I think that's another advantage of doing it later in career. Is I think you've got that that experience to bring with you. That if you start it earlier, you probably have to learn some tougher lessons uh, along the way. You know, as an entrepreneur. I think there's almost that sense that maybe arguably you don't know what you don't know. If you start, never have any done yeah. anything else. You, you know, yeah. you've to, you, naturally you find out, you learn oftentimes the hard way. doesn't mean that you don't learn the hard way when you've also had the corporate experience, but it's just, you, you're perhaps arguably maybe just a little bit more aware of where the pitfalls may arise yeah. or, or what, yeah. what you need your focus to be on. Yeah. It's a great experience. I think it's a great experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think, I think one of the, one of the real differences, and I see this with, Jake coming to business from you know from company, joining us from Google is that just your energy is so much better channeled and I don't know how the big businesses need to reflect on that is that there's so much politics there's so much time wasted in decision in decision making that's exhausting and and the, the, anyone that works in that that corporate culture is um is you know it it saps you and it leaves you with only sort of sixty percent left to do the great job for your the, the clients you work on. And even more, you get to certain levels in organisations where you have barely anything to do with the clients you're working on, which is which is not good either. So, whilst it's been challenging working in, uh, you know, in your own in your own business, you just gained forty percent energy because you don't have to deal with all of that anymore. So, uh, whilst you're working harder, you, you just feel liberated. I think it's 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 hard, isn't it? The, the, one of the challenges that I've seen, I've been fortunate to work with a number of entrepreneurs, and and one of the things that oftentimes is the biggest challenge is, is how do you scale mm. and yet continue to uh, retain that kind of core culture and the absolute DNA that you're referring to that mean that you're dynamic and you can move fast and you can move with the demands of the market and you haven't got all those layers of of, of management which of themselves create those politics. Yeah, how do you? you know, retain that core DNA while scaling and not lose sight of what made you successful from the outset. It's a really big challenge. Yeah, it's difficult. I'm absolutely determined to get it right because I think the, you know, I think the one of the most important things and one of the more, most, the biggest mistake that big agencies make is um, is around the client involvement of their senior people. Like, uh, if you spoke to my clients today, they'll, they'll know me personally and I, I hope that I'm adding value to their business every day. I don't ever ever want me or any any on the exec level to to not be involved in client business because that's what we're here. That's what, that's why you know that's why we've been we've been hired. So you take that away, then you just start to lose your value as an organisation to them. Would you would you have known what you now know to you a couple of years down the down the line? Would you have done anything differently? No, I didn't think about this. I don't. Not really. I think um, I think maybe probably in invest in tech faster and it's all very easy to say because but you know i think one of the the greatest things you appreciate about your own business is um cash flow so uh that's something you don't really have to deal with uh in agency in agency environment so 
yeah, probably maybe invest in automation tech quicker. Um, not being afraid to do that. No, no regrets. Yeah. So what about, what, what does the future look like for Tambo? What's the plan? The, oppor- the opportunities are yeah, endless. The opp- right? that, that, that is the biggest, that is what, one of our biggest challenges is we sit now, we, you know, we, we're approaching a new financial year. We, you know, our financial year finishes end of this, end of this month. It's, there's just so much opportunity. It's, it's actually trying to crystallize on what most important things are. It fundamentally comes down to value for me and it always has done in careers like we've got to be adding value if we're adding value to a business then we're retained we'll be successful so a strong focus on 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 value we we are you know well known now for um for amazon and what we do there we'll certainly do more in other other marketplaces we look even more international than we are at the moment we've had you know, great success expanding to Europe, um, picking up clients in the, um, in the US. So international growth is important. Really investing behind our product, just making sure that from you know our advertising product is the best it can be in the in the marketplace. That when when we take an on for managed service, that we deliver the best performance. And a lot of that comes down to you know to the core of the business, which is the, is the tech platform. So yeah, a lot more in, a lot more investment in that a lot more capability that can enhance the services we that we offer. And do you, what are the technologies that you, that really excite you? Because I guess that technological innovation to which you refer, it's, you know, it's, it's mm. again, back to what we said earlier about the pace of change. It's phenomenal. There's so much out there you could get your teeth into, but what really excites you at the moment, do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it's trying to get, get across to, to clients, the um, potential of Amazon as a, test platform and a source of data that really excites me you know there for example you know for, for for one fmcg client we launched subscribe and save um on 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 amazon and that gave us amount of data about the behaviors of those you know, the types of people that that join the subscription program the the frequency in which they did it, the value it was worth, and from that information, yes, it, it was it helped support growth on Amazon, but it's given the business the data and the confidence to go invest uh, in in subscription for their D two C site. So that's exciting. You know how you use the data and, and Amazon as a test platform to inform you know more broad business decisions. Uh, secondly, the just Amazon itself is just this enormous open marketplace of of products and 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 brands and again under you know helping clients understand what's going on in their category it's no better place to see that than than within amazon is it you know you can't get that data through uh through through retailers they don't share that information but you can get that data through through amazon so again category understanding garnered through amazon influencing broader decisions so that's there's that what excites me is that you know everyone's sitting you know, we talk about amazon's retail platform for the sale it's so much more, more than that so it's thinking about amazon as a marketing platform it's thinking amazon as a as a trial platform it's it's thinking about amazon as a data platform that's what i get excited about <laughs> in a very sad what, way no not what about out, away from work do you, i mean you're a reader what do you do to unwind to relax um Still pick up a tennis racket? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge sports fan. Um, 
family is obviously very important very important to me i've got two young girls uh 12 and nine so you know it's spending the time i can um with them and my wife it's which rugby. is never an easy balance and never no, an easy balance, is it? when, you, balance. When, you're, I mean, when you're two years into a business that is exploding it's it's never easy it's really that's that tension is really difficult some of you say you'd argue it might have got easier being at home i think actually it's potentially got harder because you don't have those those breaks in the day when you sort of travel from home to work so you kind of go straight from a work environment now straight into a home environment what i mean is is like you know i'm up i'm sitting up in my loft at the moment and you know come say six o'clock bang i'm down and i'm, I'm dad again and that that's really difficult to, i find to transition when is if you're in if you're working in an office you've got the journey home whether it's in the car or on the train to to make that transition one of the ways i do it now and i, I did through lockdown was a beer i'd have a beer between the two to try <laughs> probably not the healthy option but to mark the you know to mark the time better so you know that's difficult i mean i'm you know i'm still playing rugby i absolutely if, they, if i think about I'm, my team get fed, fed up with me talking about rugby we, we had a we, we were setting up a new performance evaluation framework and i said well look the best culture i know the best high performance culture is the all blacks and oh here we go again he's, he's off he's off on rugby culture but so rugby still important to me i play a lot i watch a lot i'm very involved what, in, what position do you play um very utility now because obviously I'm, I've got older and slower, so I, I used to be an outside centre. I'm now at fullback, so more useful for my um, my kicking ability, and as my teammates say, less so for my tackling ability. Um, <laughs> very good at marshalling from, from the back. So yeah, still still enjoy that. Still play a lot of tennis, play golf. Yeah, love sport in all, all all shapes and forms, especially with the ball. I'm giving I'm well, giving I'm, I'm playing cricket on Saturday for the first time in uh, about thirty years. So that should be interesting. Fantastic. Good luck. Well, I, I think going back to your point about combining family and running your own business, I think one of the challenges it, I, w- I would imagine with something like Tambo, your business, arguably it's global reach. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we're all so readily available now, you know, we walk around with these wonderful devices in our pockets. Therefore, where, you know, t- you, we're all available all of the time. Yeah. Therefore, you you know, switching off or having the discipline to even just say, no, I'm going to leave the phone to one side for, you know, for tonight or whatever yeah, it might be. Yeah. It's a really incredibly yeah. difficult discipline, in, you know, to, to undertake. Um, and I'm not so sure that they, I don't know what the answer might be, but do, are you one of those people that's able to make that distinction that, you know, this is family time, this is work time? The lines get ever more blurred, I guess, is the point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm it's really, it's really tough. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty good at sort of shutting it, shutting it, shutting it all away from about six thirty every day, and concentrating on, on whatever I'm doing. I, I've, although I find the best way of relaxing is distraction. You know, whether that's playing with the, the kids, watching a great movie, playing tennis, playing rugby, whatever that. That's that's the best form of distraction you can have, and the best way of escaping it and not not going near it. It is it is difficult. Try and you know, keep away from work at weekends, you know, wherever, wherever possible and try and, you know, really, really save that time. But it's a constant, you know, when you have your own business, you can work 24 hours a day. So it's a constant, yeah. it's a constant battle. Well, I'm fascinated that, to learn that you're still on the rugby field. Um, <laughs> you're a better man than I am. Good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in terms of business, so from a, coming back to business, the leaders you admire, are they the people that you you look up to, you're inspired by, you admire their principles or what they do? Yeah, I think my yeah, I think some of the leaders that I aspire to have come from the again from the sporting world. Clive Woodward and what he achieved, 
winning a World Cup and and learning from the experience of what he, you know, how he how he did that and the, that whole idea of creating the right you know winning environment and then taking care of that. Uh, I think he he was a, he, certainly a leader that I admired. I, I've not really I've not really followed too many business leaders. I think I've had some brilliant bosses in my time, some terrible ones, and I've learned from both um, experiences. I'm fortunate enough to work now with one of my old bosses, one of the best people I work with, Chris Whitelaw. So, you know, we've learned a lot from how he's behaved and carried himself. And then there's been other leaders um, along the way as well. I believe a lot in honesty, authenticity, and and I'm not a fan of arrogance um, and ego. So I tend to, you know, I'm not in the Steve Jobs camp. camp. I'm not in the Alex Ferguson camp. You know, I... I'm more looking more for the more authentic leaders that um, that are more um, appeal more to me. But that arrogance to which you refer, it doesn't, yeah. there's no room for it on a rugby field, is there? At fullback, the uh, the arrogance soon goes out the window when you've got oh, someone yeah. bearing down yeah. on you, a ball in the air. Yeah, and you know, when I mean, you get nailed from five yards, you know, the arrogance sort of gets knocked out of you as well. So uh, just it's one of the traits I I really can't stand in people. So. And how much of a of an asset do you think it is to be working with people? To your point, I mean, again, a consistent theme that for business owners, business leaders, not that everyone ever says it for people, you know, for sympathy, because I don't mm. think people are hugely sympathetic, but it is, it's a lonely job. You know, the buck stops with you. Yeah. How much of an asset is it, do you think, to have that, um, to be working with, 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 you know, trusted colleagues, people you've worked with for years? How much of an asset? They're building the right team, getting the right team around you. I know it's a cliche, but it's a, it's a it's a hard thing to achieve. How much of an asset is that? You think it's a massive asset because it just takes another, just takes a level of pressure off that you just know each other so well. Like you know the the, the sort of three people I work with day to day, I've known you know I've known over twenty years, and there's just huge trust in 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 that relationship. So it saves a huge amount of a huge amount of time. It's a, it may enables and means you can focus on the business and the business itself, not trying to build that trust with other people because it's already it's already there. Trust is the most important thing. Whether it's trust, building trust with your clients and maintaining that trust in your team and giving that trust to your team. I, I love the. There's a great. I forget the. I should remember the name of the book. But I read a great book many years ago about one of the conductors of the Philharmonic Orchestra. It might not be the Philharmonic, but he got his students to write a letter to themselves in the future about how they succeeded and how they were an A-star student. So he, he basically portrayed their future now. And the reason I mention it, I think, is then it, it sets the standard. So you see someone now as an A-star student. It's when they start, don't see them as, oh, I've got, I've got to really work out, you know, I've got to build my trust. You, you, give, it, you give it them straight away. And so like, I'm, I'm the, the moment I see you as an A-star, and and they they're going to they're going to strive to live up to that much more than if you say well you've got to build my trust and you know it's, it's almost you, you give it and then you i think it inspires people to achieve so what's the what's the one piece of advice that you would give to any aspiring entrepreneur out there who's thinking of of getting started this is the, the slight contradiction here <laughs> one is i mean would certainly really really work through your business plan thoroughly and and be be absolutely sure as as you can you could ever be completely sure that there is a there is a need for this you're solving a problem and that you can make money from it you know you know we took probably about six months 
of that before we we started uh, started Tambo. As I say, the second bit, which is a slight contradiction, there is just bloody do it. What's the worst that could happen? Now you probably, you know, you'll learn a great deal, and you can go back to what you're doing before. But you, if you've got that itch, you'll always regret it if you don't scratch it. No, that's great advice. So it, it strikes me that the opportunities on Amazon or any, indeed any other marketplaces out there are vast, mm. but navigating them is is a huge challenge, and that's clearly where um, where Tambo can can be a great support, can be a great asset. So where where can we find you if people want to come and? How do they get in touch with you? Social media? What's the URL? Where where will they find Tambo? I mean, you know, Tambo is um, is obviously on 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 LinkedIn. You can you can search for a search for Tambo. Maybe Tambo. There's a couple of Tambo businesses, so Tambo marketplaces. Search for this on on LinkedIn. Find me on on LinkedIn. Pretty common name, but there's there's only one Paul Adams at at, uh, at Tambo. Give us a call. Visit our website Tambo.io. We'd be yeah, delighted to hear from you. Brilliant. Great stuff. Paul, it's been great to have you on. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure. No problem. Great to be speaking with you. And uh, thanks again. No worries. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to today's Astrology podcast. I really appreciate your uh, audience and ears. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, then uh, why not hop onto iTunes and give us a review? I'd really appreciate anything that you might have to say, any feedback always gratefully received and uh, look forward to hosting you next time. See you soon. Just a reminder, today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners. Visit www.progressotalent.com today for more information.